Aloha, Kavika Miles here. First off, before we get started, I want to give a big old mahalo nui loa for taking time out of your life to listen to book one of my dystopian saga. Secondly, this free audiobook podcast is only made possible by those of you who buy some of my damn merch. It's easy. Just go over to damnitiloveamerica.com and pick yourself up an American tea, a dystopian tea, or hell, even get a copy of the book and read along with me. Regardless, I really do hope you enjoy Saga of the Nine Origins. Mahalo. Saga of the Nine Origins by Kavika Miles Read by the author Eleven, Area 38. Spring. Hands behind your back, buddy. Turning Jax around, Connor slaps a pair of flex cuffs to his wrist before zipping them tight. Easy there, Jax winces, the skin of his wrist pinching under the plastic vise. Sorry, if we want this to work, it's gotta look legitimate. Ren smirks, having very little remorse as she does the exact same thing to another man. Come on now, Jude flirtingly says, licking his scarred lips, trying his best to hide his own discomfort. The first to volunteer for any dangerous clandestine mission is often the last to be selected. In all of Connor's experience, never has he encountered a soldier as oblivious, careless, and seemingly tactless as Jude. He's as self-aware as he is homely, and if it wasn't for the uncanny similarity he has to Jack's, he'd be downright hideous. If there were more like him within the raider tribes, the government would have won the exhausting war a long time ago. With that being said, trust is in short supply, and since the three are still earning their keep, what choice do they have but to take anyone willing to put some faith in their tactics? This mission is far from suicide, but is risky to say the least, and it can't be overlooked that Jude volunteered putting his life on the line for Connor, Ren, and Jax simply by being here. Oi, Jackie boy! What are you complaining about? We're out of the encampment and have a beautiful set of legs to accompany us. What more can you ask for? Jax rolls his eyes, gagging at yet another one of Jude's annoying attempts to exchange saliva with a woman this woman being Ren. Yes, she got Kip killed, but over the past months, Jax has seen her in a different light. Like Connor, Ren is highly trained, making her effective and lethal. She saw things that Jax and Kip hadn't. They forced the hand of someone with power and influence that night. He knows if Kip were still breathing, he wouldn't regret what they tried to do. But Jax does. Jax can't help but blame himself for actions that directly led to Kip's death. They forced Ren to do something against her nature in order to protect what she saw as the greater good at the time. She had to keep the upper hand, preserving their ability to overthrow the oligarchs. The government has taken from her more than just friends. The cogs within the machine have each taken their turn in stealing her virtue, her sanity, and at times, her will to live. From the moment she's taken her first breath, Ren has unwillingly been an asset of the Nine, and Jax can only imagine the fortitude needed to endure what Ren calls her life. He doesn't need her to say that she regrets her decision to have Kip killed to know that she does. 
that the execution haunts her. The two still fundamentally disagree on a variety of tactics, methodologies, and particular doctrines they've been implementing with the Raiders. But on the other side of that coin, Jax has also come to understand the intense hatred she has for the Nine. It's the core to everything she does, and from her unique role she's played within the oligarchs, Ren has a drive that Jax is just becoming privy to. He absolutely loathes it. He loathes her. But his understanding of her actions the night of Kip's death is just another layer wound into the intricacies of their relationship. She's a beautiful woman, and while Jax tries to discern whether it's jealousy, indifference, or a combination of the two, for the moment, Jax would rather just keep Ren where she is in his mind. We ready? She asks, her glance towards Jax not going unnoticed. Looking around, making one final check, Connor makes the call. I think so. Stepping away from their vehicles, the team of four make their way to the edge of the city and into the deafening silence. Each crunch of broken glass under their boots shatters through the air, while the crackling of dying embers in the rubble-lined streets sound as a roaring mountainside fire. Every other building stands in ruined abandonment, with bodies irreverently dispersed in the gutters of their foundation, testifying to the fact that ever since Jack stepped foot outside of the PPA's jurisdiction, examples have been made of both worker and citizen alike. With each step sinking into the muddy streets, Jax holds his breath at what a few months can do to a place he once called home. And as he stares at a distant city hall, what was once familiar is now hauntingly foreign. Looks like you're famous, Jackie boy! Passing in the occasional burnt body, propagandistic posters litter the sidewalks and wall space. And while most are tattered remnants stuck face down in the melting snow, Jax is able to find an intact poster that gives clout to his perceived horrors. Jax Rouge, residency ID 220, wanted for murder kidnap of PPA officials, and conspiring against the government. Dead or alive, reward, 10,000 credits. There's some truth to that, but if that needed some context, his photo plastered with a red X and bold letters spelling out dead is an abject lie. Famous, but dead, Jax mumbles. Any details? Jax asks Connor and Ren, both of whom shrug their shoulders. If I know Caspian, after Connor's little trap, my brother not only tied you with Kip, but since we've all been missing... He took it as an opportunity to link our disappearances to you as well. Seems like a stretch, Jude scoffs. It doesn't matter, Ren says. Caspian is all about narrative, about tying things off with a convenient explanation. Let me get this straight, Jude begins, still not buying Ren's theory. They have no idea what happened, and instead of actually expending resources to kill Jax for real, they just publicize his fake death? Killing Jax doesn't explain us missing, and like I said, it's the narrative. Which is? That he won, she coldly states. That his PPA are loyal martyrs. Caspian has no reason to believe that she and Connor betrayed him, but having always been one to sway public opinion, there's no better explanation than the one he has fabricated for the area. In the distance, not too far from the four, is a pleasantly familiar tone that echoes back to Jax. We need to go, the young voice pleads, combining that with the woman's sob, and Jax is taken back to the night he left. Mary, we're not supposed to be outside. Jax's heart leaps upon hearing the name. But is it real? As the woman's weeping continues, the party of four rounds the corner where he sees that it is. Mary, kneeling in the mud, grasps a crumpled poster, and with Anne standing over her sister, shaking her shoulders relentlessly, Jax's heart pounds against his chest. Seeing her broken by the paper she holds, as he attempts to shout out to her, any words he might have thought of bunch and stick in his throat as his final, bitter moments with her stand in the back of his mind. Kip's death killed a part of Jax that night, forever changing the meaning of his life. However, Jax never took thought that his absent might leave that same kind of void in Mary. Anne begins to panic upon hearing their approaching muddy footsteps. Shaking her sister more ferociously, keeping her eyes glued to who she thinks are their executioners, Anne begins shouting, 
Please, Mary, we need to go. Panic continues to encompass her tiny frame, and with each step, Anne fixates her gaze on the approach until finally, recognition dawns. I don't care anymore, Mary says, the words mirroring her wrenching cry. In a single night, one where Mary saw the two of them building a life together outside the hell the nine had them in, Jacks vanished. For months, without even a simple reason for his disappearance, she was left with nothing but speculation. Despite this, there's still been the hope that he had a plan and would come back for her. But whatever dream her hope conjured up has been erased by the declaration crumpled in her hands. It was one thing to have Jacks missing from her life, but dead, dead is permanent, and not a single explanation is left to comfort her. Mary, Jax is finally able to cough out. In disbelief, her head shoots up towards the familiar timber and resonance of her spoken name. Her world has been uprooted, turned upside down, and as her eyes meet his, it all happens all over again. Is this really happening? Mary asks herself. Standing, the mud dripping from off her knees, she reaches out. Touching his face, feeling his skin, still in disbelief, she moves to every corner of the man's body. Her fingertips glance off his lips and recognize the familiar texture as they move from his chin and down his neck. With his hands tied behind his back, all Jax can do is lean his head forward, placing it on Mary's, letting her know as best he can that he is real, that he is alive and in front of her. I'm sorry, is the first and only thing he can say. Jackie! Anne shouts, rushing up and wrapping her tiny arms around the miracle he embodies. Near tears but holding strong, the little girl just holds Jax in her tight hug, wanting to never let him go again. What the hell is going on? Jude slowly asks, looking around for any awkward attention they might be getting from prying eyes. The streets may be desolate, but that doesn't mean they aren't monitored. I've missed you guys, Jack says, trying to hug Anne. I love you, Mary finally musters up the courage to say, and like Anne, holds him, never wanting to let go. We need to move, Wren hisses to Connor. I'm all right, Jax tells the two as he's ushered away. I'm safe, I promise. Anne waves, her cheery smile stretched across her face. Wiping tears of sorrow to make room for tears of joy, Mary turns to Anne. Let's go. Where? Anne asks, her joyful wave being interrupted. After them. How stupid could he get, compromising the entire mission, and for what? A hug and a few words? She frets over this, but in the back of Wren's mind, she longs for the sentiment of being missed. It's a liability waiting to happen, Wren concludes. What's done is done, Connor says, keeping his head in the game. Within a few moments, the company rounds a corner, seeing the extravagant city hall officially welcoming them into the area. Outside, thousands of residents await the sorting process to be tried, convicted, and executed all in one swift, efficient judicial ruling. Inside its glass walls, dozens of officials attempt to frantically create order out of their manufactured chaos. The mission held doubt for Jax, but upon seeing the systematic injustice, all apprehension is erased and replaced by sheer will. Where is he? Jax asks. Scanning the building, Wren finds him in the middle of the stage, the chief executioner, Caspian. There, she says. Let's do this thing, Jude declares, and as the four casually walk through the open doors of City Hall, the untamable chaos is instantaneously tempered. Wren? Connor? Caspian shouts, a smile emerging under his heinous eyes. Jumping off the stage and with open arms, Caspian approaches the two lost siblings. Feigning affection, Connor and Wren allow the embrace, and as soon as they pull away, everything is put into motion. We brought you someone, Connor says, presenting Jax to Caspian. Splendid, he shouts, clapping his hands thunderously. The terrorist himself! And who is this? Caspian then asks, 
eyeing the unexpected Jude. An associate of his, Connor responds. With a smile, Caspian throws his arms into the air and at the top of his lungs shouts, Stop the executions! You have obtained mercy. As tears fill the eyes of all residents being shuffled out of City Hall, Caspian looks to both Connor and Wren, gesturing for them to follow. Together, the five make their way to a quiet, secluded room behind the stage where inside, two guards flank either end of the exquisite luxury office. Dark marble embellishes the ground while photos of Caspian and his war medals chronologically decorate the walls in full circle, ending at his desk, marking his achievement as area leader of the 38th area of the North American Union as his greatest success. Please, Caspian calmly says, directing both Wren and Connor to two soft maroon chairs. Reluctantly, the two warriors sit, casually calculating the threat the flanking guards pose. Now tell me, Caspian begins, bringing Jax to the front of his desk as he sits and swivels around in his chair. Where have you been all this time? Why? Jax asks. Pondering the question, as if it's a studious and intellectual one, Caspian asks, What do you think we've been doing out here? Having fun? Jax shrugs. Isn't that what murder is to you? <laughs> I like you. You remind me of someone I used to know, Caspian says with a smile. To be honest, we've been guessing, he then says, clarifying what the horrendous scene outside entailed. We've had no idea where it is you could have gone. And with my two top intel advisors missing, he says, pointing to Ren and Connor, what other options did we have? You bombed your own home, bringing us to the assumption that it was a diversion for you to take them. Everyone we've killed. Their blood is on your hands, my friend. Ren gives a slight look to Connor, having a feeling she knows where this conversation is going. But, Caspian's tone lightens even more, it appears they were out hunting the infamous Jax Rouge. Connor simply nods, reaffirming what Caspian has assumed in his mind. And you couldn't have at least told me? Quickly, this interrogation has turned from Jax to his family as hostility begins filling the atmosphere. Caspian's no fool. He ordered the fake announcement of Jax's execution in hopes of flushing out any workers that were retaining information under the guise that they'd be exempt from punishment now that the grand criminal was dead. That obviously wasn't going to happen. Loose ends must always be tied off. However, he finds it strangely curious that not only have his own people come to him with information, but they have also brought the criminal with them. Caspian, Connor begins. We had to act. It was time sensitive. Convenient? Caspian chuckles. I'll ask you then. Where were you? He points to Ren, his eyes instantly shifting back to a dark place. When she doesn't respond, he swivels back to face Connor, and not needing to ask the question a third time, he holds his gaze on the bastard. Really? Both of you are just going to? Caspian asks, miming the lack of information they are giving him in an annoyed shrug. You want to know where we've been? Jude asks. I really do. Caspian nods, keeping a maniacal smile at bay. We can show you. Is that right? Caspian drawls. Simultaneously, Connor and Ren kill the two flanking guards with their silenced weapons, catching the bodies before they thud to the ground, and in another flawless second, cut the cuffs from Jax and Jude. Lock the door, Connor commands, but as Ren moves to the exit, she begins to hear a slow clap from Caspian. Impressive. Stretching his wrists for a moment, Jax impatiently takes the silenced firearm from Connor and, without hesitating, fires a dart into Caspian's shoulder. Shut up. Without any protest, Caspian continues to smile as he sinks into a deep slumber. 
From outside City Hall, Mary and Anne watch as five individuals emerge. Is it Jackie? Anne timidly asks, her gaze fixated on the sole, limp body. I don't know, Mary replies, fearing the worst. She vowed he wouldn't leave her sight, but as they entered City Hall, there wasn't much she could do other than wait and watch the glass walls. I hope it's not, Anne whispers, still staring at the unconscious body being carried away. What are you two doing? A booming voice demands from behind. Startled, Mary turns around to see the three triangles of a young, burly PPA sergeant staring down at them. We have some friends in there, Mary replies. You want to join them? No, we're just worried is all. Sounds like you want to join them, he growls, grabbing each by an arm before hauling Mary and Anne towards City Hall. Let go! Anne pounds on the man's hip, nearly punching him in the crotch. Obviously, this doesn't sit well with the sergeant, and in retaliation, she smacked to the muddy ground. Hey! One of the four distant officers notices the commotion and runs over, despite the protest coming from his three other comrades. What are you doing? he asks. Noticing the man's face, Anne beams with a smile. Mary, also recognizing him, slaps her hand over Anne's mouth before the little girl's enthusiasm gives Jax away. They need to be processed, the sergeant coolly states. The executions have stopped, Jax informs the oblivious soldier. So let them go and help return workers to their homes. Reluctantly, the soldier complies. Once out of sight, Jax grabs both Anne and Mary. Come with me, he says, pulling Mary and practically dragging Anne towards the group. What are you doing? Wren asks, irked at this deviation in the mission. They're coming with us, Jax says. About to protest and side with Wren, upon seeing Mary, Jude keeps his mouth shut. It's not every day a beautiful variation comes into the encampment's gene pool. Wren was his initial focus, but she is the definition of standoffish, and as he continues to examine the way Mary looks at Jax, he concludes that she'll be a far better mark. Let's just get going, Jude says, cutting off any further debate on the matter. Seeing Jude eyeballing Mary, Jax grabs Jude's collar, yanking him to the side. What are you thinking? I'm on your side. Do you want them to come or not? Jude innocently asks. Can we do this later? Connor asks, looking over his shoulder at a dozen confused PPA guards. They've noticed. They're coming with us, he orders. It's not a tactically sound move, but right now they don't have the luxury of choice. Rapidly weaving their way through the maze of streets, in as casual and official of a manner as possible, the group manages to make their way to their truck unnoticed. Relief is brief, though, as a squad-sized element is found searching their vehicle looking for any symbol of identification. Damn it, Connor mumbles. We took too long, Ren sighs out, glaring at Mary and Anne as the cause. We'll make it work, Jack says, taking the initiative and marching forward. We're sorry, we can't let you near the vehicle, one of the specialists declares. The hell you can't, Jack shouts, mimicking the officers he's heard. It's for your own protection, sir. The specialist glances at the prisoners, one being unconscious and the other two girls. What do you need it for, sir? It's ours, Wren chimes in, attempting to use her family name to get them out of here quicker. But it's an unidentified vehicle. And do you think we need to explain ourselves to you? Wren burrows her eyes into the specialist young soul. Embarrassed but mostly terrified by her fury, the team lead looks to his squad. You heard her! Hastily, the team recovers their gear, and before they are even two steps away, Jax tosses Caspian in the back as the rest of the group jumps into the vehicle. What are you doing? As they tear out of the area, Jax looks back at the protesting officer approaching the soon-to-be-dead specialist. It was Ren Stone, the specialist answers. She just kidnapped Caspian, you dumb sh- And before the last syllable is heard, a shattering gunshot echoes, killing the young soldier. Raider Encampment What's the plan? Dantrax asks Kai as he and Connor walk down the path. Question him and get information. Standard protocol, Kai states. He hadn't thought that far in advance, though, because he didn't think they'd pull it off to begin with. 
With his first failure to capture Caspian all those years ago, Kai was doubtful his white saviors would do any better. I don't think it's enough, Connor adds. Why is that? Kai asks, doubtful of any input Connor can contribute. My team has control of the situation, and we need to maintain that integrity. Informing Caspian that any raiders are involved will only be giving him unnecessary intel. We want to make him think this was an act of subversion, not an act of war. <laughs> an act of subversion is an act of war, Kai scoffs. You were seen leaving the area, possibly followed, and not to mention you brought in two outsiders without my consent. Your consent? Dan calmly asks. Without the consent of the people, Kai clarifies. They have no hold on the situation, not to mention he has no more right to oversee the prisoner than I do. What do you suppose we do then, son? Dan inquires. Like every time he says it, the word stings Connor upon hearing Kai being called Dan's son and not him, the man's own flesh and blood. As he was with the stones, Connor is still a man with no country or family. We wait, Kai says, his perpetual smirk plastered on his face from knowing he still outranks this pale-skinned counterpart. What do you mean we wait? Connor protests, Dan's hand raising up to silence him. Never, not even the PPA, has Connor been one for customs and courtesies and blatantly ignores Dan's staying hand. We weren't followed. And as for the two women we brought back with us, what is the point of being a raider if you don't bring in others from under the oligarchy's jurisdiction? Those women are painted the same color as every PPA out there, Kai yells. Says who? You're no different than they are, Connor snaps, his voice near a breaking point. Stopping the brawl before it can escalate, Dan turns to the officer. What do you propose, Connor? Let us handle this. Let Jack speak to him. Caspian killed Kip Kai scoffs. <laughs> I've met Caspian on the battlefield. I have just as much gripe with the man, as do the plenty of raiders that also knew Kip. Does he know you? Does Caspian know any of them personally? Connor yells. I don't give a damn who knew Kip. He was Jax's best friend, and Caspian knows that. Is Jax emotionally compromised? Dan asks. Can he control himself? Can he? Connor asks, gesturing to Kai with nothing more to add to his case. My techniques have worsened in the past, Kai hastily states, feeling his grasp on the situation waning. You're just as cynical as the PPA you fight. There's a reason we found you when we did. Connor states, stepping up to meet Kai eye to eye. What's that supposed to mean? Kai counters, his nose touching Connor's. The raiders are nearly extinct. You need our help, Connor replies. Caspian is not like the PPA. He is a stone. He's a part of the oligarchy and an heir to the nine. You will not break him. I promise you that. You and your team have one chance, Dan says, not letting his son finish the fight. Get it done, or the nearly extinct raiders will. Yes, sir, Connor states. Kai smirks, but is humbled by the fact that this white man's real son won. As the two sons, both soldiers in their own way, turn to leave, Dan is impressed to ask a simple question. Kai? The raider turns around in response. Have you said your prayers today? Dan asks, looking Kai in the eyes. No, father, he admits. Maybe you should. Nodding, Kai turns back around, walking past Connor and down the darkened path towards the encampment. Yearning for his chance, Connor finds it useless and pathetic to try to talk to Dan, and grabbing the radio on his hip, Connor keeps focused. You're up, Jax, he says. It comes with a jolt, but he's ready. Firmly shutting his father's journal, his gloves tighten as he and the guards step into the makeshift bunker, the wave of emotion being halted by the hooded prisoner's faint, incomprehensible mutters. On approach, Jax rips a tuft of Caspian's hair out as he pulls off the hood and with awe watches the man continue his unwavering gaze towards the ground below.
Plan B became the reason, Caspian murmurs. Plan B became the way. Thinking of the words from Micah he'd just read, Jax leans on Connor's advice. Balance emotion with purpose. He can't dispel Caspian's horrendous acts from his mind, but he can try to leverage them against the history he now knows. I have a question, Jax begins. Caspian ignores Jax, continuing his lifeless recitation, changing the chant as he does. The original nine will reign. The original nine will cleanse. All are created equal. Ever heard of the idea? While Caspian's chanting falls silent, he gives no response and stares into the abyss. Suddenly, a psychotic laugh bursts out, startling Jax as it pierces his ears. The laughter continues, slowly transforming into a beastly bellow before settling back to eerie silence. Care to explain what's so funny? <laughs> Do you even know where that idea came from? Caspian asks with a soft cackle. From the founders of what this place used to be. Caspian shrugs his shoulders. When they said all men, they didn't really mean all men. Explain. Do you know what a slave is? Caspian asks, steering the conversation. <laughs> I was a slave, Jack scoffs out. The labor class, they're all slaves. Exactly, Caspian cheers out. The founding fathers that you were trying to praise, they had slaves. Did you know this? Jax didn't, but doesn't make mention of that. I didn't think so. Have you heard of the Dred Scott decision? Caspian asks, throwing yet another historical fact at his interrogator. I didn't think so, he says again, not giving Jax a chance to respond. It was a trial of sorts, kind of like what I do at City Hall. Only this trial stated very clearly that the Founding Fathers intended one thing and one thing only, Caspian says, pausing for dramatic effect. Taking the bait, Jack simply asks, And what did they intend? They intended to keep this nation clean through racial division, separating the pure from the impure. The guard at the door grasps the rod underneath his coat, slowly revealing it. Letting emotion rule for a moment, Jax nods at the raider, who bashes the rod across Caspian's jaw before slamming it into the other side with a backswing. This happens two more times before Jax calls for a stop, handing the raider a cloth to wipe the blood from the weapon. However, not a mark is left on Caspian's face, let alone blood on the rod. Anyway, Caspian says, spitting into the dirt, have your little history lessons taught you about the Nazis? What are you trying to do? Jax asks. I'm trying to explain everything. Caspian rolls his eyes. Now, may I? Jax nods, unsure if he should indulge Caspian. The Nazis, they saw a natural hierarchy within the world. They then took the initiative with the technology that they had at their disposal. They weren't the first, they weren't the last, but they were the most infamous. Jax turns his back on Caspian, mustering all his strength to resist spilling Caspian's blood on the ground. Let me break it down for you as simply as I can. You're asking me what I am hoping to accomplish, correct? Turning back around, Jax nods. I'm just trying to restore natural order, the natural separation of society that got lost through amendments, policy changes, and weakened minds. You're talking about a pure race. Ideals and symbols corrupted this nation, Caspian says flatly his eyes hardening into a cold, dark beam creasing across his face. The American flag, what was supposed to be a symbol of peace and justice, was twisted into meaning democracy and equality. Contextualizing history is key. 
contextualizing the history books tells us that equality was never intended. It was never intended, but it was achieved and brought countless blessings nonetheless. Wrong! Caspian yells out. Equality is a farce that the socialists and Marxists fed off to make others feel good. And while others voted them into power, they used the complaints of the workers to create another type of inequality. Inequality was always intended in America. Free-thinking citizens got caught up in a dream and it fed into their arrogance. Nature will always take back what's hers. Instead of black and white, he became rich and poor. The privileged and those born behind the curve. Once they began solving that issue, it moved back to race, and round and round it always goes in liberal society. Your view is corrupt. My view is corrupt? <laughs> Caspian Caskills. Now that's funny, he says, breathing just slow enough to calm his rising breath. There's a reason why people look different and think different. It's because nobody was created equal. There are an elite few, and it's only amongst those few that it is fair to make such a bold claim. We're done here, Jack says, turning around to leave. Don't act like you don't want to know more, Caspian's voice darkens. You want to know about your father, don't you, Jackie? Not needing a command this time, the raider swings the metal rod across the side of Caspian's head. Without speaking, Jax turns around. Your father knew mine, Caspian continues, cracking his own neck back into place. They planned this dream together. I doubt that very much, Jax laughs out, thinking about the box, the journals, and everything he's read from Micah. And that box you're thinking about, Caspian smiles, it was meant for me, not you. Again, I doubt that. You shouldn't. See for yourself, Caspian says, motioning to the pocket just above his chest. If that's true, where is he? Shit happens. You know that. Kip knows that. Taking the rod from the raider, Jax crushes it not once but three times into Caspian's jaw, dislocating it. But with a quick whip of his neck, Caspian pops it back into place. Just look at the photo, Caspian says, exasperated at the lack of commitment he's seeing from Jax. Carefully, Jax reaches for Caspian's pocket, pulling out a folded photograph. Told you, Caspian sighs, watching Jax unfold the image. I was so pathetic then. Now look at me. It's all thanks to Micah Rouge and Sullivan Stone. In this photo is the awful truth. A smiling Micah Rouge has both arms around a young Sullivan and a youthful Bella Stone, holding a crippled kid on his shoulders. Caspian? Caspian?